You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as normal, I'd like to start out with a shout out to all of our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners from London, Cardiff, Birmingham, Portsmouth, Norwich, Ipswich, Derby, Southampton, Manchester, Hull, Colchester, and Bristol. And then we also have new listeners from Dublin in Ireland, Paris in France, Barcelona in Spain, Lisbon in Portugal, Brussels and Liège in Belgium, Amsterdam, The Hague and Rotterdam in the Netherlands, Berlin, Frankfurt, Hesse and Bavaria in Germany, Copenhagen, Sigenmark and Hoverstaden in Denmark, Hazuma in Estonia, Valais in Switzerland, Vienna in Austria, Prague in the Czech Republic, Budapest in Hungary, Turin in Italy, Zagreb in Croatia, Serbia, Istanbul in Turkey, Tel Aviv in Israel, Kampala in Uganda, Maharashtra and Tamil Nadu in India, Manila and Pasay in the Philippines. They are first listeners ever from the Philippines, so big welcome to you. Uh, Ishan Zhikal in South Korea, Tokyo and Kagoshima in Japan, Melbourne and Perth in Australia, Brasilia in Brazil, British Columbia, Alberta and Quebec in Canada, and then from our friends in the USA, we have new listeners this week from San Francisco, San Jose, New York, Washington DC, Birmingham, Austin, Minneapolis, Las Vegas, Fort Worth, Charlotte, Denver, Pasco, Kennewick, Boston, Manchester, St. Louis, San Diego, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, and High Point. So, once again, it's great to see all these new listeners from right around the world. Big welcome to you. And a big shout out, of course, to all my regular listeners, of which there are now well over a thousand of you every week. And uh, it's great to have so many of you listening right around the globe to hear me for 30 minutes each week on news from the world of GDPR. Uh, as always, I welcome your feedback on the show. So if you have any feedback, please send it to me at podcastsandsurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. And uh, I always welcome any feedback and also any ideas that you have for future episodes of the show. And of course, any suggestions you might have for people that you'd like me to interview on the show. And I have an interview coming up in this week's episode, which you'll be able to hear later in the show this week. So, once again, thank you and welcome to you all to the GDPR Weekly Show. And in a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have an update on the Scottish National Party's European election data breach, which we first brought to you around four or five weeks ago here on the GDPR Weekly Show, but we've got a good update on that for you. We then have an in-depth article on an update to U.S. data laws because most listeners will be aware by now about the Californian Privacy Act. But I just took this opportunity to bring you up to date with various other U.S. states and where they are at in their implementation of laws 
very similar to GDPR in many ways, but you'll find out more about that in the article. And then finally for this week, we have a interview with Mark Wellins from a company called OneTouch.io. Uh, Mark and I had a good wide-ranging discussion about GDPR and also about data security in a broader sense, and I hope you'll find the interview a really interesting listen. Uh, we actually went on a bit longer than the time that I'd allocated, so I've put the first part of the interview into this week's podcast, and the second part of the interview will follow in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Regular listeners may remember that a number of weeks ago now, we carried an article about the Scottish National Party and that they'd had some data breaches during the European election campaign where they revealed the names of thousands of voters by sending letters from uh, Nicola Sturgeon, the SNP leader and First Minister, to the wrong addresses. People received letters addressed to their neighbours or even addressed to complete strangers, and one woman received 30 letters at her home, all addressed to people who did not live there. Having carried out an investigation, the ICO has ruled that the party did not breach the Data Protection Act. The party had been given, has been given official advice to ensure its staff are properly trained and told to increase its cross-checking and mailings to make sure they are accurate. The party could have faced a large fine if it had been found guilty of a breach. The ICO said that in total they'd received six complaints about this incident, which had all been dealt with together and were now all closed. A spokesman for the ICO said, We investigated an incident involving inappropriate disclosure of personal data in election materials sent through the post. The incident did not warrant a formal enforcement action, but the data controller has given written advice on data protection practices. For its part, the SNP said it was pleased it had been cleared of breaching data protection laws and repeated its apology to any voters affected by the mistake. A spokesman for the SNP said we welcome the ICO decision to take no action. As we said at the time, it was a clerical error and we've taken the necessary steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. Once more, we wish to apologise to anyone affected. The Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, said the SNP was among a number of political parties being audited to make sure they were not breaching privacy laws when using personal data and social media data for campaigning purposes. The ICO confirmed that the SNP has so far been the focus of 12 data protection, privacy and electronic communication complaints, and in most cases the party has been given advice on its practices and on compliance rules, and two cases were closed with no action taken at all because they were viewed as being outside of the scope of the Information Commissioner. Now, of course, it's worth noting that the SNP aren't the only um, political party in Scotland to be investigated by the ICO. Indeed, the ICO has confirmed that they've had four cases against the Scottish Green Party, two cases with Scottish Labour, and two cases with the Scottish Conservatives. In all of these cases, advice was also given, or the cases were closed with no action. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. While GDPR is now a year old here in Europe, and California is getting lots of attention with its California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA, which is probably the 
uh, closest thing to GDPR in the US at the moment. The other US states aren't being idle, and so I thought it was worth probably just giving you a quick roundup of where we are with some of the other US state laws. Um, so for our regular listeners across the pond, you may well wish to uh, listen carefully to this part of the broadcast. It doesn't mean that people in Europe can switch off, by the way, because there's much to be learnt. Um, anyway, so we begin with Illinois, and Illinois is proposing some notification requirements to the Attorney General. Uh, specifically, the governor is expected to sign an amendment to the Illinois Personal Information Protection Act, which will require businesses to notify the Attorney General of breaches that involve at least 500 Illinois residents. The Attorney General will also be permitted to publish information concerning these data breaches. Now, this is quite an interesting one when you compare this with GDPR, because under GDPR, of course, we have the whole thing of reporting data breaches, which we've become used to. And whilst those of us who are experienced data protection officers under GDPR have built up some uh, working guidelines of when to report things to the ICO or not, what the ICO explicitly hasn't done is actually to set a clear limit and say we only want to know if a breach involves more than X number of people or X amount of money or X, I don't know, X number of children. But in Illinois here, they're being very precise. They're saying that unless it involves at least 500 Illinois residents, then the Attorney General doesn't want to know or doesn't put that a different way doesn't have to be notified. So that's in Illinois. Then we move across to Maine, and Maine is placing new restrictions on internet service providers, on ISPs. Maine's new act, which they call in the Act to Protect the Privacy of Online Consumer Information, prohibits ISPs from using, selling, or distributing consumer data without the consumer's explicit consent. The act, which will take effect from July the 1st, 2020, will prohibit ISPs in Maine from attempting to pressure a customer into allowing the ISP to sell his or her data, including by either penalising the customer or offering the customer a discount on the ISP's services. Moving then to Maryland. In Maryland, there are new requirements on entities following a security breach. And in this case, the... uh, Changes the amendments come into effect from October the 1st, 2019, and the amendments are to Maryland's Personal Information Protection Act. And among other things, the amended law expands the scope of businesses covered by the law to include businesses that own, license, or maintain personal information of Maryland residents. Now, at the moment, the law there only covers businesses that own or license the personal information. Now it's moving a step further to also cover companies that maintain the personal information. So I guess if we were to draw a GDPR equivalent here, this is really just adding to their current legislation, which is largely for what we would consider to be um, data controllers, to also include data processors. So again, in some ways mimicking what we already have in GDPR. Uh, Another amendment which is being made in Maryland is to prohibit a business responsible for a breach from charging the applicable data owner or licensee for information needed for notification. So again, data processor, data controller um, relation. And three, prohibit business from using information relative to the breach 
for purposes other than providing notification regarding the breach, protecting or securing applicable personal information and providing notification to certain information security organisations to alert and avert future breaches. So again, really strengthening here to bring their data processor, data controller uh, agreements in line with the data controller, data processor agreements that we're all used to here in Europe under GDPR. Then we move to Massachusetts and Massachusetts are expanding their data breach notification obligations. In this case, it's already um, come into effect in that the law came into effect on April the 11th this year. And the amendments require businesses to offer complimentary credit monitoring for 18 months if a breach involves a resident's social security number. Furthermore, breach notifications have to be provided on a rolling basis to avoid delay, and if the exposed data is owned by a third party, then notice must identify that third party. And lastly, businesses must inform state regulators as to whether they maintain a written information security program. It's not quite clear what they mean by a written information security program. One imagines that they mean having a set of data breach procedures, much as a UK or European company would have a set of GDPR policies and procedures. Um, but we have asked them for clarification on that. But again, this is interesting in something that's taken a, again another step which GDPR has not yet taken. We know when there have been data breaches that a number of companies and organisations have voluntarily offered complimentary credit monitoring for a period of time after a breach. But this is the first time I think I've seen it written into legislation that the business must offer complimentary credit monitoring for 18 months after a breach. So again, it'd be interesting to see whether that one actually comes back over the pond and gets included as an update to GDPR here at some point. Then we move to New Jersey, and New Jersey has expanded the definition of personal information and modified notification standards. Uh, these changes in New Jersey are effective from September the 1st, 2019, and New Jersey's law now expands the definition of personal information to include usernames, email addresses, passwords, and security questions and answers affiliated with an individual's online account. If a breach occurs, businesses are required to notify affected New Jersey residents through written or electronic notice, directing them to promptly change their login credentials associated with that business and any other accounts in which they have used the same username and or email address, password or security questions and answers. Importantly, if a resident's email account is the subject of the security breach, the business cannot provide electronic notice to that email. There's two, again, two useful things here to think about. New Jersey's definition of personal information now falls much closer to the definition under GDPR. But in terms of the notification, they've taken a step forward which on the face of it appears to be common sense, but it's not actually written into GDPR, which is that the notification can't be sent to the email address if it's believed the email address itself has been the subject of the data breach or indeed the data hack. Because presumably the thinking behind that is all you're actually doing is tipping off the hackers that you're now onto them. Um, so that's an interesting one and one which I think probably will again make its way back over the pond to be incorporated into an update to GDPR here in Europe and the UK at some point. Then we move to New York and in New York, New York has expanded the scope of protection under the law and established standards for businesses to protect consumer information. They've done this by amendments to the Stop Hacks and Improve Electronic Data Security Act. You'll notice that there's 
a thing here as well that uh, I know people sometimes when it first came in were critical of, of general data protection regulations saying that was too wordy but you compare it with some of the alternatives it's actually a very succinct way of saying what the regulations cover anyway I digress Back to the amendments to the Stop Hacks and Improve Electronic Data Security Act, it now expands security breach protection to the following categories. Biometric data, account numbers and credit or debit card numbers without a security code, and usernames, email addresses, passwords and security questions and answers. Businesses are exempt from issuing a breach notification when either the breach results from an unauthorised person's inadvertent disclosure and the business reasonably finds that the breach does not pose any financial or emotional harm, or the business has already sent out notifications under federal or other New York regulations. Additionally, the definition of what makes up a breach is expanded to include unauthorised access in addition to acquisition of private information. Furthermore, businesses are directed to take reasonable safeguards in protecting information through procedures such as, but not limited to, designating and training employees to implement and oversee security programs, regularly testing the effectiveness of security programs, and making necessary modifications and promptly deleting private information that is no longer used. Furthermore, the New York Attorney General will now have three years instead of two to bring action against the business for violating the Act. So again, really, a lot of that is just bringing uh, New York's laws into line with what we're already used to in GDPR. So then we move on to Oregon, and Oregon has expanded the scope of protected data and notification requirements for vendors. Effective from January the 1st, 2020, the Oregon Consumer Information Protection Act extends certain data breach notification requirements to vendors. Vendors must now notify any contracted covered entity within 10 days of discovering a breach of security as well as notifying the Attorney General if the breach involves more than 250 consumers or if the number of individuals affected is unknown. Notification to the Attorney General is not required by vendors if the covered entity has already notified the Attorney General. The law also expands the definition of personal information to include usernames or other means of identifying a consumer for the purpose of permitting access to the consumer's account. So again, really bringing a lot of that into line with... Um, GDPR or try or trying to. I mean, it's notable again that they've set a figure of number of consumers involved to 250, and also that they're allowing a window of 10 days for reporting a data breach. Where, of course, here where we're covered by GDPR, we just have 72 hours or three days. Then we move on to Texas, and Texas has added definitive notification timeline and also established an advisory council. Effective from January the 1st, 2020, amendments to the Texas Identity Theft Enforcement and Protection Act require businesses to send breach notifications to affected individuals without unreasonable delay, but no later than 60 days after identifying the breach, and to send notification to the Texas Attorney General within 60 days of identifying the breach, provided that the breach affects at least 250 Texas residents. Again, that's quite an interesting difference to GDPR isn't it because here as I've always said we have three days we have 72 hours and yet in Texas they're allowing 60 days which to me I actually think is excessively long I see no good reason why you should allow 60 days but anyway that is the law that Texas have passed 
and moreover the law establishes a Texas Privacy Protection Advisory Council consisting of 15 appointed members who are to, in quotes, study data privacy laws in the state, other states and relevant foreign jurisdictions. So we assume by that they're going to study the like of GDPR. And finally for this update we've moved to Washington and Washington have expanded the definition of personal information and set new notification requirements. This is Washington State, by the way, not Washington, D.C. So, Washington State have effected from March the 1st, 2020, expanded the definition of personal information to include birth date, unique private keys for signing electronic records, student, military or password identification numbers, medical information, biometric information, and online login credentials. Businesses may send breach notifications by email unless the breach involves credentials associated with that email account. So again, that's that's in this one as well as one of the other laws we covered earlier. So maybe that was an oversight when, when GDPR was being put together and perhaps that is something that should be in GDPR. Perhaps that's something we'll discuss in a, in a future episode. If the breach affects more than 500 residents of Washington State, then the entity must provide notice to the Attorney General identifying the type of information exposed, the time frame of exposure, the steps taken to fix the breach, and a copy of the notice that was sent to affected individuals. Entities must provide updated notices to the Attorney-General if any information required to be provided to the Attorney-General is unknown at the time the original breach notification is filed. And lastly, the law reduces the prior 45-day notification timeline to 30 days. So, Again, it's coming down, but even 30 days is significantly above the three days which is allowed under GDPR. So, interesting to see how these different states are bringing their laws into line with GDPR, but actually having some fairly significant local variation. And so, for both those of you and my listeners who are in the states, and in perhaps in the states that I've mentioned, or have customers or clients, or staff come to that within the states that I've mentioned. And indeed, for any listeners elsewhere in the world, whether in Europe or further afield in the world, who have uh, clients within these states, it's worth making a note of these changes to the laws so that you don't fall foul of them by accident. We'll probably do this every few months, I think, now, to bring listeners up to date with what's happening in other parts of the world. Um, I hope you find that interesting. Do let me know. Do let me have some feedback to podcast at insurety.co.uk or you can always find the feedback and indeed all the past episodes of the podcast by going to our website at www.insurety.co.uk that's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk and go into the podcast page. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We are getting an increasing number of our customers now already contacting us to arrange an audit as now it's coming up to towards a year from when GDPR came in and they want to make sure that they're operating as they should be and we'd like to offer this service out to all of you, all of our listeners. Uh, So if you'd like us to perform an audit on your GDPR uh, operations and make sure that you are recording everything you need to be, that you have all the necessary procedures in place and that you know how to action those procedures. Please do get in touch with us via podcasts 
at insurability.co.uk. That's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at insurity, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y, dot co.uk. Please make the subject of your email GDPR audit, and we'll get the relevant person to contact you. Um, We're able to carry out audits either on-site or remotely, and for a pleasantly low cost. Um, I'm sure you'll be pleasantly surprised with the figure we're able to provide you with for providing the audit. I can't give a global figure here because it does affect, it does depend on how many employees, how many customers, how many records, etc. you have. Um, But please do get in contact with us. It's totally without obligation, but do get in contact with us to arrange an audit because uh, if you do want the audit done around May or June of this year to be annual from when GDPR came in, we are rapidly filling our diaries for that period. So uh, don't delay, do get in touch, do it this week, and we'll be pleased to provide you with a quote. And for the first five of you to contact us to request a a data audit, a data breach audit, I'm pleased to be able to say that we will provide that to you for 50% of our normal fee. But that's only for the first five of you to contact us as a result of this podcast. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And now is the interview spot on the GDPR Weekly Show. So welcome to this week's interview slot on the GDPR Weekly Show. And this week it's my great pleasure to be speaking to Mark Wellens from OneTouch.io. Um, Mark, start by telling us a little about yourself and what OneTouch.io do. Hi Keith, thanks. It's uh, it's really nice to be here. It's uh, also nice to be working with uh, you know British accents again. I get a lot of work in America these days. Um, One Touch is is my my new passion. Uh, I've I've come from other high tech areas, but One Touch is the the newest and greatest. I, I love the idea of the technology before I came on board, and now that I see uh, the technology in action, I'm, I'm I think I made the right choice, pretty much for sure. So what we what we do is we have this. Uh, let me tell you how, how it all started. There's a couple of gentlemen, uh, Dimitri and Itzik, the CTO, and um, let's call them VPR&D or, or architect. Between them, uh, they came up with the idea. And what was going on was they, they were visiting um, the CISO of a relatively well-known uh, hotel chain. And he was telling them about the pain and the, and the, the hardship he was going through with GDPR compliance getting ready for gdpr mm-hmm. it took it took them forever they were trying to find the right people to find the right resources different surveys going on and and three to six months later he said oh finally we get there but here's the problem in two weeks time that's going to be out of date all the work we did to find where the data is to find the data it's going to be out of date and so i've just made this massive investment and i just i don't know why basically so dimitri and itzig were they kind of looked at each other and went Oh yeah, we we can solve that problem, and from that meeting, the you know the germination it started there, and then OneTouch uh, Privacy Solution was born out of that. 
uh, as, a, as a direct response or a direct answer to the pain points they heard from, from the customer to be. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. So what sort of size of organization is, is one touch aimed at? Is it really for anything from SME upwards or, or, or do you start bigger than that? So we definitely can start SME upwards. Um, I think that you'll find that the value proposition is much more relevant to to the bigger organizations, sure. which is why we've built um, you know, scalability from the beginning. We realize we're not going to be dealing with you know, 3 million or 5 million PII. We're looking more towards the, the billion number and more. Sure. But certainly as an SME, you have the same concerns, the same challenges, and, and there are the solutions still exist there, but it, it's... In my own belief, it's the, the effectiveness, cost effectiveness is not, it's not the same economy of scale. Let's sure, sure. Okay, yeah, and understand that. So just looking at the broader marketplace, do you, obviously GDPR we're very aware of here in the UK, but obviously you are able to probably take a far more um, Europe-wide perspective, should I say. Uh, I mean, my impression is that, is that although we have a standard set of rules now, obviously, across the... EU, that actually the way different countries are enforcing it is very different. Would, would, would that hold true with your, your your findings? I think that's a fair, a fairly accurate statement. Yes, um, Europe in general, uh, people and companies, they're they're all they're certainly very much aware of GDPR. Uh, there's very few people who, who you know don't really know what it is. Um, I, I think though that the the question might be better posed. Does does that seventy five percent people who are aware do they actually do they actually care that much? You yeah. know, what's in it for them, kind of thing. Mm. And that's what we're seeing more in the US. And I think that that's been driven a lot by I'm going to use CCPA as the example, sure. which yeah. is basically built, yeah, it's built in GDPR. But at the end of the day, um, call it Joe Public for want of a better phrase, or, or John Doe in the US they can actually take advantage and, and I'm using that word advantage of the legislation because they effectively can say, Oh, I would like to have my, you know, do my DSAR data subject access request. I would like to know what you know about me. Yeah. yeah. And that's what GDPR is. And, and so the company has to respond within the, the time or, or it's in, you know, not in compliance. Now in, in Europe, then, uh, you know, the ICO gets involved maybe, and it kind of decides what it wants to do. And it's a fairly lengthy process and perhaps at the end of the day, there will be a fine, perhaps not. Because uh, we've got to remember, it's not about, really, it's not about the fines. It was more about empowering um, people to, to have control over their data. It yeah. wasn't about punishing people, right? That's, GDPR is not a punishment, although that seems to be what makes the news. If sure. we head back over to California, right, which uh, as, an, as an individual, I can say, what do you know? And, and if you can't supply that information, I can actually sue you, right? Me yeah. personally, I benefit. And sure. then... So, so your guys in California, they're sitting there and they're going, I might as well just drink all the beer in the house because if, if I am not compliant and someone posts that on Facebook or Twitter or whatever mm. it might be, I could have 100,000 people requesting that request. Yeah. Not only can I, you know, I can't actually. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a good point. And it's something that I've long emphasized to people that I've provided with training on here in the UK is is almost don't worry too much about the fines. You worry more about your commercial reputation. And, uh, you know, I think that's, I think that's a, the crucial part there, really. Of lawyer, lawyering up, as some other places may do. 
Yeah, sure, sure. So how do, how do you feel about data privacy generally at the moment, Mark? Do you think there's, I mean, obviously there's a trend to put customers more in control of their own data, which I guess as a consumer, I would say is welcome. But do you think actually now maybe in places the pendulum, the pendulum is swinging too far in the consumer's favour? And obviously this is a, a sort of a personal opinion. Um, I do think there's a, a, a balance to be struck and we haven't got there yet, neither in California, neither in, in, you know, in, in Europe, because mm. neither of them really are, are helping everyone. And, and that's really where we, we kind of want to be. Cool. I, wouldn't, I would not want to be a Californian company right now. Right? It would really not be a happy place for me. Equally in, in Europe, as a consumer, I like the idea I can get on my data. I like the idea that I could be in control, but actually I, I don't know. I don't really know what it's giving me yet as a, as a consumer. And if you take a, an example of a little bit of the negativity of GDPR um, in, in certain, um, I've read about this, that uh, people don't really want to share information as freely as they used to. Mm. And the example I was looking at was uh, w women who are in shelters because they're being abused or battered. Yeah. And they're now put at further risk because the, the, the officer or offices in charge don't want to share data in case they're a breach of GDPR. Yeah, so yeah. there's definitely a happy medium that we have to find that will benefit everyone. I, 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 think, I think you're right. And indeed, I was doing some work recently with a company who said that for internal discipline things, you know, where, where someone's being disciplined for um, something they've done wrong at work, the advice that is actually in their HR manual now was don't do it via email, do it via just a telephone conversation because then, hey, if someone makes a GDPR request in the future, we don't have to release it. <laughs> uh, Brilliant. But yeah, it, it, it's, in my mind, that's almost taking things back a step, a step if you know what I mean. Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. I, and again, I just see that from two perspectives. I was like, well, okay, if I worked for you, I wouldn't be too happy with that. But equally, if I was one of your directors or one of your shareholders, actually, I can see a lot of pluses in that approach. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But because, you know, it, it, it does leave us vulnerable. And I, I think as well, I mean, again, I'd welcome your input on this, but my personal feel is that, I almost wish the ICO would be a little more aggressive um, because I do sense a feeling among some organisations, certainly in the UK and across the Europe, in my experience, where people are thinking, oh, it's another millennium bug. You know, it, we were told it would be all this hassle, but actually, so what? And I almost feel tempted to sometimes to take those people across to California and show them what's happening with CCPA and say, here's what is your so what. I, see, I, I, I do, I certainly have some agreement with that. Um, and I think there's, there has to be some kind of, I'm going to use the, the well tried and trusted phrase, some kind of compelling event like that, like taking them all to California to show them the so what. Mm. Um, because right now, the yeah, call them the behemoths or whatever we want to call them, it's not really scary. Let's no. face it. Well, you know, 50 million euro fine for Google sounds a lot to you and me. I can't actually imagine what that is, right? Like Google doesn't care that much. However, go back to CCPA and $750, I know exactly what that buys me. You know? yeah. So yeah. It, it's so much more tangible. 
So yes, there has to be something inside the EU, some GDPR event, provoked event that makes people, not makes people, it gives people the realization, hey, this is actually really for our benefit. It's not just about me accessing my data, but it's actually something positive for us all. And that's really kind of what's missing right now. So that's where we have to leave the interview for this week. But we'll be back to continue this interview next week because I hope that you all find it as interesting as I did. And many thanks to the guys from OneTouch.io for agreeing to take part in the show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember, keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.